the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, my guest is Devin Hughes, the co-founder of Buy Me, an Irish app that allows you to buy groceries online from most of the major retailers and to have them delivered to your door. The pandemic has been a game changer for the tech company with a huge surge in demand for deliveries. And the company has identified 200 large towns and cities in Ireland and Britain where it could launch online to build a company with revenues north of a billion euro a year. So I began by asking Devin to explain how the company's services work. Sure, Kieran. thanks for having me on. Um, so Buy Me is Ireland's largest same-day grocery e-commerce platform. Um, and we allow users to order grocery and household items from large enterprise retailers uh, and favourite brands like Dunn Stores and Lidl today and have their items delivered store-to-door in as little as an hour by their very own personal shopper. Right, okay, well, that's a very simple explanation. Now, traditionally, we've been told that delivering groceries is really expensive um, and uh, companies like Tesco have always sort of talked about the, the challenges of being able to deliver that to customers effectively. So if you're employing a personal shopper, let's say, to go in and um, handpick an order for me, um, if I go through Lidl or um, Dunn Stores, how much does that cost you and how much do you charge me? How do you make a book on it? Sure. So maybe just to give you a little bit of context, I suppose, um, the reason I got into this industry in the first place is that it was so loss-making. 2014 was when I, when I stumbled upon this this market. Someone said to me, over, over a, where all great ideas come from, Karen, we're up, over a pint of Guinness in a Dublin pub. Uh, someone said to me, Devin, do you know the online grocery market is worth £9 billion? Pounds? That was 2014. And it loses £300 million pounds a year. That was the aggregate losses of all the retailers combined. Um, and I, f- I found this really interesting and I decided to spend a bit of time, about four or five months, just researching the sector. And my background is energy. I used to work in the energy sector. I used to work with large pharmaceutical and retail and manufacturers to hedge and trade their gas electricity contracts on, on the UK market. And the way the electricity market works is that we use shared infrastructures. If we didn't use shared infrastructures, one electricity grid, one gas network, um, it would be prohibitively expensive to distribute that commodity uh, to, to our homes and businesses. And when I looked at the grocery market, what we had was 11 distribution networks across just Ireland, the UK alone, all trying to do the same thing. We had the Tesco network, we had the Sainsbury's network, we had the Acado network, all all doing the same thing, but cancelling each other out and preventing any real uh, economies of scale. And so the, the, the thesis for Buy Me has always been, and, and it still is today, is that we've created this shared network, this shared infrastructure, where we're able to distribute uh, cost um, and, and labor across the entire market, and it doesn't sit within the PL of just one retailer. Um, and that, that has been the biggest innovation that Buy Me has brought to the, to the industry. We're the first shared infrastructure uh, of our client um, in Ireland, UK, and we launched in 2016. Um, and of course, now the online grocery market has exploded. Um, we're now up to a probably a 17 billion euro market across Ireland and the UK. Um, and no doubt the losses have, have continued to, to expand quite significantly. Um, but we've been able to help our retailers go online profitably um, by, by creating that shared cost. Right, that's interesting. So if I decide I want to do a shop with Dunstores online, do I go to a, a Dunstores app or do I go to Buy Me? Today you go to the Buy Me app. So you download Buy Me um, on the Google Play Store or, or iOS App Store. 
Um, and then once you've inputted your uh, postcode, your your details, you'll then be presented uh, with all of the retailers that we have available uh, in, in your local area. And so the first screen that you typically see is like a digital high street where you see the retailers um, that are available and you choose which one you want to shop with. And then once you've selected that retailer, you're more or less in a branded retail experience, albeit you're still within the Buy Me platform uh, or the digital Buy Me shopping center that it is. Um, but you're now you're now browsing and you're now shopping uh, directly with your favorite retailer. And let's say in Ireland, let's say in Dublin, I, I go onto your website and I see a few different um, retailers that I could potentially buy my groceries off. How, how does that kind of work? How do the retailers sort of feel about having to compete? Let's say Lidl competing with Dunn's or competing with Tesco uh, on the Buy Me platform or, you know, do you give preference? Uh, is there a danger that you might end up giving preference to one over the other? No. And, and so we, we've structured our, our model um, in a very transparent way. So all of our fees are transparent. Um, our retailers know exactly what the costs are. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, retailers have to compete um, and they, they, they're happy to compete um, because that's the, that's the world that they live in. As you know, grocery retail is a, is a competitive market. Um, and so what we do is we, we provide a, a fair uh, and balanced landscape in the e-commerce market and all retailers can compete uh, in in the exact same way, they, when we update our technology and our platform, every retailer on our platform gets access to that technology and capability. And um, so there's no there's no preference in that sense. It's a, it's a multi tenant platform, and that means that as as updates and developments happen, um, that technology and capability is shared amongst all of our partners. Um, and that that's a very important part of our of our our role in the in the market is that we we remain an independent you know platform, uh, and that we we focus on creating uh, value for the industry as a whole. Um, and again, sharing that cost uh, is the only way to, to create a viable e-commerce channel. Okay. And do you have your own delivery vans? So we're, uh, we're the largest same-day grocery commerce platform in the country. And we have no vans and no warehouses and we don't hold stock. Um, so Buy Me is, is a pure platform in, in every sense of the word. What we do is we, we manage the cash flow and the data flow of the market um, and, and, and we distribute orders in real time. So when a, when a customer's order comes into us, um, we have built a, an engine called, we call it Jarvis, which is essentially our routing and, and sorting algorithm. Um, and Jarvis will be looking at all of the real-time variables of the physical retail market. So how many customers are on the platform, how many items in their basket, um, and, and what on-shelf availability is like, traffic conditions, weather conditions, all of these things that make up uh, your, your last mile. Um, and then once... Uh, once he's processed that, he'll then distribute that order to the very best personal shopper uh, in the local community to fulfill that order. That shopper will receive the order. They can accept it or deny it. If they accept it, they'll be routed to the best physical store uh, to complete that order. And sometimes they might be doing up to three customer orders at a time. And so we're bundling orders together that really complement each other. And so the shopper is able to make as much money as possible uh, in, their t- in, in that time frame that, they, that they're, they're operating on the platform. And the shoppers, the personal shoppers, are they self-employed? They are, yeah. So they're independent contractors. And do they go in queue with the rest of us at the tills or are there special uh, tills for them to check out? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the first instance is that we've built a totally um, self-sustaining uh, supply chain. So we don't need to, to integrate technically with our retailers. Um, so, and, and we did this in the first instance because when we started, when I, when I started, I was the first personal shopper and, and I did about 1,800 deliveries in the first two years of the business. And um, we didn't have retail partners. So we needed to be able to just get in and out of stores and make sure the customer experience was really high. So we've done, we've continued to do that. And actually it's become one of our biggest uh, value points for our retail partners. Cause as you'll probably guess, IT resources are a real, uh, a real tough spot for, for any large enterprise. Um, and so we've built this so that actually we don't need any integration. There's no investment up front from the retailer to get up and running with us. We can actually set this up independently by ourselves. Um, when a, sh- when a, sh- a shopper arrives in store, they have a Buy Me app. 
which we've designed that has high quality imagery. Uh, it, nat it automatically routes them around the store in the very best possible way and the fastest way um, and presents them with all the items and um, barcode scanning capability built into that app so they, they know exactly which products that they're getting. Um, and they're able to move through the store far faster than perhaps you and I would be on our, if we were doing the shopping for ourselves. Um, and so that is, and then once they get the till, they actually pay like a normal customer would through the till uh, using a buy me card, which which Jarvis has automatically funded with cash uh, when they arrived in the store. So it's a really seamless process, totally cashless for for the shopper. Um, and all they have to do is focus on providing their customer with a really great experience and a personal shopping experience. That's a big difference for buy me is that. You know, when I first started surveying customers back in 2014, 2015, you know, one of the biggest friction points was poor substitution and, 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 uh, and missing items. When our shoppers are in store, they will contact the customer after they've picked the items to talk about anything that's in, out, out of stock. So, Kieran, you've ordered fillet steak for your Friday night. I'm in store. You'll get a phone call from me. Um, and I'll say, Kieran's Devin from Buy Me. Unfortunately, they don't have any fillet steak uh, in store this evening, but they do have T-bone, ribeye, uh, and sirloin. Could I get you something else instead? And the, the most important part of that, Kieran, so for you as a customer... You, not only are your expectations being managed appropriately, um, there's no door shock when that when that order arrives. You know, uh, already know what's coming. You get the opportunity to edit your basket in real time as if you were in the store yourself. And that's, that's the real difference is it's connecting the, cons the consumer and the personal shopper um, directly and, and creating a line of incentive and accountability. Um, and so that, 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 that's really the, the, the focus that we've made is creating great technology to allow the shopper to do uh, the best job possible and earn as much as they can when they're, when they're working on the platform. Right. So they get through the till. What happens then? Uh, they will load up their car and then they will be routed by Jarvis uh, via the best route to each customer's location. Okay. So it's kind of, it's a bit like Deliveroo, uh, except for groceries. Similar enough, it's a decentralized labor network, very, very similar to Deliveroo, but as I said, it's, it's, it's focused on a very different customer mission. So our average basket has north of 32 items in it. It's a full weekly shop that we're delivering. Um, and so all of our shoppers use their own cars uh, and the technology we've built to facilitate that is very different. Of course, for the likes of Deliveroo, it, they're collecting a bag of burgers or chips at a restaurant and delivering from A to B. Um, there's a little bit less complexity um, in, in small basket courier type deliveries. Whereas when you're doing a large weekly shop for a customer, you need to make sure that there's really, really good technology underpinning that. Uh, it's, I, I think, you know, when I was doing deliveries myself in 2016, I probably found every single possible way to screw up a customer order. Um, and so we focus on building really good capabilities and, and infrastructure to make sure that we, 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 uh, we remove that, that, that risk. And how much does this cost in the customer? It really depends on, uh, similar to, to if you were shopping in a, in a retailer, it depends on which, which retailer you're shopping with. Um, so all of our retailers co-invest with us. Um, and so they will invest a certain amount to try and bring the cost down. And as you know, some retailers will be able to, uh, will be able to absorb some of that cost more than others um, because margin differs very significantly across retailers. Um, so uh, depending on, on which uh, retailer a customer shops with, it can cost anywhere from 5 to 13%. Um, in, in terms of basket fees. Right. And what's the average basket? Uh, what's the average cost? Our average basket today is probably in the region of 80 euros. Um, so as I said, kind of a, a meaningful weekly shop. Um, and the cost of the customer uh, is probably in the region of 10 to 15%, all in with delivery fees, etc. on average. Right. And is that money, uh, that's money that goes to buy me? Uh, no, so that's that's actually the the majority of that would go to the shopper. So the delivery fees, for example, our shoppers are earning on average 12.81 an hour. Um, across the network. And so the, the vast majority of those fees actually go towards making sure the shoppers uh, are able to earn a, a really you know, livable wage. 
Right, okay. And typically, what kind of hours are shoppers doing and how many hours a week are they working? Most of the time. So we have a really, really diverse group of shoppers. We're up to probably over 350 shoppers now across five markets in two countries. Um, and uh, it, it ranges. We have about probably about 25 different nationalities. The age range uh, runs from 18 to 62. So it's a really, really blended mix. And you'll have a, you'll have a mix of people, people from semi-skilled backgrounds, retail and, and, and delivery uh, from other sectors, as well as semi-retirees um, and, and, and the like. So quite a big mix. The average shopper, it's a part-time job. Most shoppers are working on average 28 hours a week. Um, so it's very much a part-time gig. A lot of them will have second jobs uh, or full-time jobs during the week. Right, okay. And it's expensive, isn't it? Because they've got to have their own vehicles and... Uh, we know that vehicles are expensive to run. Not as expensive as you think. So this this isn't a lot of times confusion can happen around um, the type of work. It's not Uber. Um, they're not sitting in a car driving around all day every day. In fact, fifty percent, uh, sorry, sixty percent of their time is spent in a store. Um, and then they're also delivering in very tight delivery zones. So the way our model works is that you have to build density uh, within urban zones, and so the distance between store and customer is very, very short. So they're actually not driving an awful lot. They're spending more time in the store, providing that personal service to their to their customers. Now, I presume the pandemic must have been good for Buy Me. I, I, you know, people were staying home more and obviously uh, ordering uh, online from supermarkets because they were afraid to go out and catch the virus. So presumably, this has led to an explosion in your business. Yeah. And look, I mean, COVID has been transformational for, for so many different sectors. And, and fortunately enough, grocery was a beneficiary as, as a whole, uh, as an industry, because obviously hospitality wasn't, wasn't available. And so, you know, people still needed to feed themselves for, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I, I very much feel like we were probably right place, right time, right product. You know, we became a, an essential service overnight. In fact, I remember actually the, the, the moment I realized that something quite transformation was happening was I was coming back from London, having spent the day over uh, meeting with investors. And I looked at my phone for the first time uh, in London City Airport, and we had done a week's worth of volume in a day. Um, um, and at that stage, um, I mean, that that was quite a shock. I thought there was a bug. I thought there was a mistake. Um, but when I looked at the news, it was the, it was the announcement of the closure of public schools and offices um, that, that created this, this, this panic in the market. And the most interesting part about working in a, in a, in a, not just a data business like us, but the FMCG sector is that you see consumer behavior and trends in, in this, in this data set before you see it anywhere else. Um, and so we could see real marked changes in behavior, basket sizes went, went significantly up. Um, and the types of categories that were being purchased, obviously we have the joke about the toilet roll shortages that we had, um, but tinned products, you know, long lasting products, uh, saw a massive spike in, 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 uh, in volume. And so for us, this, it was such an interesting and transformational time. And, and our core focus was making sure that our service stayed as stable as possible. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of our team because we, we had 99.98% uptime throughout the, since, since COVID has, has, has occurred. We've had zero downtime in terms of our service. Um, and, and we were in a position um, which was quite nice to, to create jobs. So we were able to hire shoppers. We expanded into Cork, Limerick and Bristol, our first international market. Um, and we were creating jobs, hiring shoppers and giving access to labor in a, in a world where that was that was actually quite a quite a rare, a rare, uh, a rare situation. So we were very, really proud, and really happy to be in that position. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the center of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. 
So let's take 2021 versus 2019, which was the year before the pandemic. How many deliveries did you do in 19 and how many in 21? I wouldn't have the exact number in terms of order volume. Oh, um, and I, I tell you, I, let, me, let me give you a sense of scale, maybe from, from a user standpoint. That's probably a better sense of, of kind of where we're at. And some obviously commercial sensitive information and all the rest, because we, we're, we're handling you know, very sensitive retailer uh, revenue volumes. Um, so what I would say is that we were... Um, we became the number one food and drink app in the country uh, in Q1 of 2020. Now we we were already growing quite quickly. We've we've more than doubled the business year on year since we've launched in 2016. Online was the fastest growing channel in grocery long before COVID came along. And I think that's very important for people to know is that it was already quite a, quite a hot sector, uh, albeit it wasn't as in the news as it, as it, as it has been uh, since COVID. And um, we became the number one food and drink app in the country in Q1, ahead of the likes of Just Eat, Deliveroo, Uber, these billion dollar companies. You know, we all of a sudden became this this kind of, you know, um, this this four player. And um, since then, we've had four and a half percent of the Irish population register on the platform. Um, and we have about 13 percent of households in, du- in Dublin, which is our most mature market. We've been in Dublin the longest, uh, about 13 percent of households shopping with us on a, on a monthly basis. Um, and as I said, average basket size in the in the in the region of eighty euros, um, and so that gives you a sense of just just how 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 big the business has has, has become, um, and now expanding to the likes of Limerick and Galway and Cork, uh, we really have now a nationwide reach, which is such an exciting uh, exciting time. I'm just wondering in terms of the uh, retailers, you know, Dunstores and uh, Lidl and probably Tesco too, I guess, and um, they're known for driving a hard bargain. So what are what are they like uh, to deal with from your end? To be honest, I mean we've look. The industry is is a tough industry to play in, but we've had an incredibly uh, positive experience working with our retail partners. Um, I mean, the you know it, it's not easy to bring a new business into the market, and, and in fact, you can't really kick the back door in and just arrive. You have to be welcomed in, um, because this is an enterprise market. This isn't you know we're not a fragmented market like other countries. Um, Ireland UK is an enterprise led grocery sector, so you have about twelve businesses that run a two hundred and fifty billion euro market. Um, and so to really succeed in this sector, you have to do it in partnership. Um, and we've been very, very lucky with, with, with you know, our flagship partner was Lidl, um, who, who signed our first deal with us in, in 2018. We launched them in Q4 2018. Um, and that really put us on the map. We became the first independent e-commerce platform in Europe to take the discount channel online. And the reason that's important here is the second fastest growing channel after online is discount. And so you put those two channels together, all of a sudden you get this really great combo. Um, and, and, and we were very proud to be able to, to take that channel online and, and work with Lidl, which is the largest grocer in Europe. Um, and then to, to do a partnership with Dunn Stores, I mean, you know, my father's first job was working with Ben Dunn Sr. in um, in uh, their North Earl Street store. And um, they're such an iconic Irish brand. Um, and they are, you know, the largest retailer in Ireland. They're one of the biggest employers. Um, and to be able to work with them has been a real pleasure. Um, and we've really, yeah, and, and taking them online for the first time nationwide in, in, in Q4 last year um, was a real milestone for, for, for the business and, and for me personally. So what's the end goal um, for you? Do you want to replace all those Tesco vans that we see going around the roads? Let's say, do you want to be the, the company that's delivering on behalf of every grocer in Ireland? I think it's a, it's a great question, Kieran. I mean, the, the market is evolving rapidly. And I say rapid being a quite a quite a turn of phrase because rapid delivery has become uh, a massive trend, uh, particularly over the last eighteen months. Obviously, driven primarily by COVID, but a huge amount of venture capital has come into it as well. Our vision is to continue doing what we're doing, which is providing customers with access to their favorite retail brands. We're not a retailer. We have no ambition to be a retailer. We're not going to be setting up warehouses and 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 buy in and stock ourselves. We will continue to invest in and sit. Uh, within our existing retail networks and the store states and try and optimize those those assets with, with great technology. Um, 
the question I, I think we need to a- ask is is where the customer mission is going to be. Because the likes of, of your next day, next week delivery, which is the majority of the market, that's a £16 billion market across Ireland UK. And that's vans and warehouses run by grocers themselves. Um, and there's a 25-year history uh, of investment gone into that, that, that customer mission. The question now is th- that infrastructure doesn't, doesn't do same day. It can't do same day because it's a hub and spoke model. It's non. It's a linear distribution model. And to do grocery same day, you need decentralization, which is what we are—a decentralized network that allows shoppers to move seamlessly to different retailers and different volume or uh, in, a, in a market. And so we're able to reach levels of volume that a single retailer in a single uh, mar- uh, city can't 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 get to because we have that that shared nature. Um, and the question is, if customers continue to move into same day, and that very much seems to be the direction of travel, um, then then there's going to need to be a change, a marked change in how the industry deals with that. And we believe that we're the answer to it. Um, the other big question I think the industry is faced with is um, Amazon. Amazon has made it very clear with their $13 billion acquisition of Whole Foods and their announced their partnership with Morrisons and their launch of nine distribution centers across the UK that grocery is going to be a huge part of their, their strategy. Um, and, and Amazon is, is a category killer. They sell more batteries than Duracell. Uh, they, they own the, the online battery market in, 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 the U, in, in the US. They own 60% of the online baby wipes market. Amazon Essentials, Right. And so they are a existential threat to grocers in the online channel and fast becoming a threat in the physical channel as they've just launched 11 stores in the US, in the UK, and they've announced that they're going to have 300 stores within the next four years. And so that is a real challenge that's, that's coming about. Um, and, and we believe for retailers to compete against a, you know, a trillion dollar company, a company that's six times larger than the entire grocery sector, um, then they're going to need to use shared infrastructures. They're going to need to work together in some way, shape, or form to be able to compete uh, in, in in that environment. And so again, you know, our vision is to is to continue to build that technology and and give retailers um, a, a, an advantage, a competitive advantage um, in in the new landscape. Right? Maybe they'll write a check for you, Amazon. <laughs> I, I don't think that would be. I, to be honest, I, I don't see that being uh, the the right. You now, I mean, they they do own sixteen percent of Deliveroo, so they're obviously interested in in decentralized labor networks, um, and they themselves are a shared infrastructure, as as we all know. They you know they're the way they they have gotten to where they are. They have you know thousands, if not millions, of small, medium sized businesses using their infrastructure, and that gives them a competitive advantage. Um, but I, I think for us, our, our our passion, our mission is is on the retail side. Um, I think that's that's the part of the market that I've. You know, become uh, obsessed with, um, and and I have to say, I, I I'm very excited about you know the future and the potential for for physical retail, brick and I don't think brick and mortar goes anywhere, and um, particularly in the grocery sector. I think I think the the role it plays will evolve, um, and I'm excited to be a part of that transition and and work with our retail partners to grow. You mentioned delivery, and just in terms of the people, your personal shoppers, the people who are you know at the front line doing that work for you, um, in, in for the likes of Deliveroo and, and other companies of that ilk. Uh, the status of those uh, people, the employment status, has become a real issue, and it's now very much in the crosshairs of policymakers and governments, um, right across Europe and elsewhere. So, where is Buy Me at? And is I mean, is a day going to come when these personal shoppers of Buy Me are, are going to say, "Listen, we want to be full time employees because we want sick pay and we want uh, pension contributions and so forth, and you know, we want proper rights and working hours, and we want to know which days we can work and, and so on and so forth." Yeah, so no, I think it's I think it's a great question, uh, Kieran. I've been uh, very vocal 
uh, with with regards uh, where I see the challenges within the gig economy. Um, and and we've been a big part of it. I, I founded a, a, a trade organization called Sharing Economy Ireland to engage with policymakers back in 2016 uh, to explain some of the risks we saw uh, within uh, the existing labor infrastructure and labor labor legislation um, that that created gaps um, and and uh, and lack of opportunity to really kind of deal with issues that could arise. Um, I think what's really important to understand is that not all platforms are created equal, and the demand curve in day really matters. And so friction emerges primarily when it comes to decentralized labor and gig economy. It emerges around um, uh, the ability to earn stable income um, and where that where that control sits. The problem that Deliveroo had in the very latest, and they were pioneers in this, and, and I, I think people need to, to, be, to give them a little bit of slack in the sense that they, no one had done decentralized labor networks uh, in the past at scale using technology. So a lot of this is brand new to our economy uh, and to, to our legislators. And so we have to be a little bit mindful of that, that this doesn't happen overnight. Um, but the problem Deliveroo had always was that they had a, a Batman problem. So if you think about it, this it's flat in the morning, it, their volume spikes at lunchtime, it goes flat in the, in the middle of the day and then spikes at dinner time. And the challenge that creates is that you have to bring um, your labor force uh, into work uh, for a period of time and then you need, to, you need them to go away and then you need to come back at a certain time. And what happens is when people make themselves available for work, they're available for work. And but if you're if you're saying your availability for work is only at this time of day and that time of evening, that's going to be really really difficult uh, to to manage without creating significant friction. Um, and so one of the benefits I saw of grocery is grocery has a bell shaped demand curve, and um, so it takes off in the morning nine nine a.m. It peaks between three and seven and then cools down. So you're ramping uh, the network and then you're cooling it down. And that's exactly how the electricity market works. Um, and so that 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 creates far less friction. And it creates, creates a more stable environment uh, to manage earnings. Um, the other side of it then is around, you know, you talked about rights um, for, for workers in this space. Um, all of our shoppers choose when and how they want to work. There's no obligation for them to work any days. It's, and, and a lot of the conflation that happens, particularly in the media, is the conflation between gig economy and zero-hour contracts. They're two very, very different things. A zero-hour contract means that someone has the obligation to work at any time when you present them at work. A gig economy contract, an independent contractor's agreement, means that there's no obligation on either party. So all of our shoppers will choose when they want to work, what hours they want to work. And if we, if we, have the, if we know that we're going to have the volume and the worth, we'll accept it. If there's no volume, we won't accept it. And then, then we know that they're going to be earning a stable income on that basis. Um, the question is, is, where is this going? Now, we know that the EU has been working, the EU Commission has been working on uh, legislation for the economy for, for quite some time um, and, and trying to understand where the opportunities and risks are. And um, there has been a recommendation come down um, around that. Some countries have, have gone off on their own direction. Like so Germany shut down the economy very early on, um, probably about seven years ago. Um, uh, Spain and Italy have taken very, very, very hard stances uh, when it comes to um, uh, um, uh, uh, the classification of of of, of workers, um, but I think that I think there is there is an importance to strike the balance. Decentralized labor networks provide real value to our economies. They they reduce cost in many instances. For grocery e-commerce is one example, um, and they provide flexibility and scale in a way that we've never seen before. Particularly dealing with the COVID crisis, food delivery and delivery in general has benefited greatly from the the uh, the, the the presence of decentralized um, labor forces. But where it doesn't burn. For example, there's certain rules and it's black and white. You're either an employee or you're a contractor. And so platforms can't provide certain benefits, even though they wish they want to. So things like sick pay, you mentioned pension contribution, even though a platform might want to do that. And I'm not saying they all do, but some certainly do because I've spoken to them and we're one of those. 
Um, you cannot do it without falling into a totally different bracket that comes with a whole load of other um, uh, implications. And many of the shoppers work on our platform, as I said, second jobs. They work because they want that flexibility. A big portion of them would be students, probably about 60% of our network are students working around um, their own student life, their own curriculums, their classes, etc. Um, and so it's important that we take all of this into account. It's a, it's a big, meaty, messy topic, but it's important to have context in terms of all the varying degrees. Um, one of the things that we've done in the last year uh, is actually launch a benefits package. And what's great about it is that the, the market is starting to catch up you know, legislation is always going to lag behind because legislation happens in a very linear process. Unfortunately, the private markets don't behave linearly. They grow exponentially. So what benefits are you offering? So new, new services have come out. We've partnered with a company called Collect Benefits um, and we've rolled out sick pay, uh, accident and injury insurance, um, as well as access to healthcare and uh, a host of discounts for services like uh, dental work, uh, clothing, branding. So there's there's an entire industry starting to be built around creating access to better benefits uh, for shoppers and for, for, for independent contractors working on platforms. And I think this is a step in the right direction. Hopefully legislation continues to facilitate innovation uh, without constraining it, but it's important that we do make sure that people aren't falling between the cracks, that, that there is certain expectations around minimum wage uh, uh, expectations. Um, and for example, sometimes we see shoppers come onto our platform and by their own decision, uh, earning under minimum wage. And we don't, we don't allow those shoppers to continue to work on the platform because that's not, that's not appropriate. Devin, this uh, bespoke technology, I presume, costs a lot of money. Um, so I'm just wondering, what you're, are you going to need to raise more money uh, in the near future? And secondly, what are your expansion plans? You talked about uh, moving outside Dublin and going to places like uh, Limerick, Cork and Galway. Uh, but what are your plans for the UK market as well? Yeah, no, uh, great question. So, I mean, we've raised you know, $15.5 million to date. Um, as a business, we have an incredible base of shareholders. Um, you know, the likes of, of Hatch Ventures, led by Scott Weavers, right? The XCO from Morrisons.com, our chairman, Eamon Quinn, um, and Wheat Chief, which is, uh, and, um, which is the largest food sustainability and supply chain company in our fund in, in the UK, um, which is the Duke Westminster's venture vehicle. Um, we have a great shareholder base. We've raised capital to build what we are today. Um, but we're not, um, we're also very, very cautious with how we spend and how we invest money. Our big focus, particularly over the last year, has you know growth has not been an issue for us. You know, as I said, we've doubled the business year on year, um, um, and twenty twenty one was was no different. Um, but our big focus for us is how do we get to a, a position of profitability um, and contribution positivity on on a quarter basis. Happy to say that we achieved that this year, and um, that was the biggest milestone that our board set out. We will be looking at raising around. Um, in the future, we'll be looking at raising capital uh, in the future as we continue to expand. Um, and, and expansion really is the name of the game for us. As I said, we've, we're now in five, five cities across two countries. We've identified 200 different cities and townships across Ireland and the UK where our service would be viable. And one of the things, you know, a lot of this is around learning, Kieran. And when we launched Limerick and Galway, for example, you know, those populations are smaller than we potentially thought that we could operate in. But we've seen Limerick and Galway perform incredibly well. And it's given us huge confidence that actually the addressable market for our business and our platform is far, far larger than we possibly originally anticipated. Um, and so, yeah, 2022 is going to be an exciting year. We're hopefully going to be making some you know, pretty exciting announcements in the, in the first half of this year. Um, and, and UK is, is very much uh, a part of that focus. And in terms of uh, raising money, what, how much, what kind of scale do you see? Um, how much do you think you'll need to raise? I mean, we're not quite there in terms of uh, in terms of exactly 
you know, in terms of sharing exactly what our what our next round is look like, we're still working on on building that strategy and vision. I mean, there's vast amounts of capital going into businesses at the moment. Um, we've seen about fifteen and a half billion invested in about one hundred and sixty online grocery businesses in the last eighteen months. Uh, there's been a huge overheating in the venture capital market, um, and all of that, and the vast majority of that capital actually has flown into one single type of business model, which is called uh, Q-commerce or dark stores. Um, these are essentially retailers of their in their own right. They operate small warehouses um, and couriers on on mopeds, delivering um, you know five or six items in in ten minutes. And um, that's where a lot of the focus of investment has been. You know, our focus is is very different. It's a large basket it's delivered within two or three hours. Um, and I think for us, making sure that we find the right capital partners to go on that journey with us. This is a long term journey. You know, we're not we're not we're not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and so working on that strategy and deciding how much we raise is an important part. You don't. Personally, raising a billion quid when you're 12 years, 12, 12 months old um, comes with a huge amount of restrictions and expectation. I think a lot of those companies right now are suffering because they've made big, lofty profit and growth uh, promises to investors that they're not able to sustain because you know COVID is obviously falling away somewhat, and that's making it very hard to retain customers in, for those specific businesses. So for us, we're very careful with the types of capital that we raise. Um, I'd be remiss, I, I, we don't have a, a number that I can share right now. Um, but our core focus this year will be kind of thinking about that expansion strategy. As I said, a couple of big announcements are going to be a big part of driving um, that, that direction for us. And we'll build a funding strategy that makes sense um, as, as the year uh, develops. All right, Devin Hughes, we wish you continued success. Thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Devin Hughes for joining me on the show. The podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.